0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List, and I am happy you are here. <clears throat> I am coming to you live. Not live. Uh, it's recorded. But right now, I'm live. Like as I'm recording, that you get it. I am in Austin, Texas, a wonderful city, one of my favorite cities, although there's some... Changes happening downtown. Uh, But it is wonderful, and I'm glad you're here. And this is another uh, compilation episode. There are new full episodes coming, I promise. I've been a little overwhelmed um, and um, doing a a brief hiatus, but a lot of people have reached out and asked if the show is still going. It is. And um, in the meantime, it's May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we put together a few uh, compilations and today is a compilation of talks about OCD and hypochondria, which certainly is a big theme of my life and of the show. And um, I got some great guests and some, some great snippets from some past guests, including um, this is a bunch of my dear friends: Isabel Hagen, Steve Rogers, who's been on the show twice, and uh, Greg Warren who's an OCD sufferer and was kind enough to come on and talk about it. And uh, Bridget Fedacy, who is a fellow hypochondriac and a sort of a hypochondriac in recovery. And she's been extremely uh, helpful to me and was helpful in this episode particularly. So there's a bunch of stuff from all of them. And um, I think this is a great episode that um, the producers of the show were kind enough to put together. And um, I'm really uh, happy about it and excited about it. And I hope you'll get a lot out of it. If, even if you don't suffer from either of those things, there's a lot of great tips and um, insight on just how to live a, a healthier lifestyle. So grateful for all those people. They're all people that have uh, helped me a lot uh, through my suffering of these things. And they're also happen to be really funny people as well. So um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you'll look them up. If you don't already know them, they all are great stand-ups and storytellers and podcast hosts and a whole bunch of other stuff so but mostly great people that's most important to me or maybe it's not i really appreciate comedy either way i appreciate the support um keep remain subscribe subscribe to the youtube subscribe to the podcast leave a nice review and i promise there's some cool guests coming up soon and we'll be back with fully fresh new episodes as always, I'm really grateful that you're here, that you stopped in to watch and listen or however you're consuming the podcast. And, um, and I just did the uh, Joe Rogan experience. We talked about it there. So hopefully that means some more good big things for the show. And um, I just want to express my gratitude. And um, like I said, there'll be some new full interviews coming up soon. But until then, enjoy this compilation of past guests talking about OCD and hypochondria. And when you're done, if you want, go check out those full interviews check out these wonderful comedians I appreciate it and here's a quote that I've done before it's one of Mark Twain's most famous quotes even though it's always quoted in different ways but he said I've suffered a great many har- hardships in my life most of them never happened it's sometimes quoted as uh, difficulties or tragedies whatever what, fill in whatever word but most of them never happened and that's how I feel about hypochondria and anxiety Most of the stuff that I'm worried about has never really happened. It's all projection. We're all fine. You're doing great. Now enjoy these conversations. Thank you. I love you.
1: But, you know, that I I had some serious OCD issues that I I think um, i if I would have known about, I I might have been better, you know. Uh, better at wrestling. wrestling or better? Yeah, yeah. I think you know, I had more. I I I had, I had success. I had a lot of success, but I think I could have had even more if I would have just gotten out of my head a little bit, or even recognized that I that I had OCD. And I sort of found out when I was living in New York that that I had OCD.
0: Uh, no. Is that something? Because I'm an OCD sufferer myself. Was that something that you went and had diagnosed, or did you just start to understand, yeah, pick these things up?
1: Man, I'll tell you the story. And uh, there there's is. probably some of it that I don't want to share, but I'll tell you. Um, so I was I was in living in New York, you know, when you and I were hanging out here, here and there, and um, I went to some some checkup, and uh, you know, just your normal. Physical or whatever. And there's that question where they ask you, like, you know, are you depressed or, or, or something like that? And, uh, you know, f- all the times before I was like, no, that's, that's no, I'm not depressed. I'm fine. There's people that are suffering or, you know, there's people I, I have no, I'm a comedian. Like I have the easiest life. And that day, you know, I was just like, yeah, I just answered it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I am. And the guy asked me about it and I kind of told him. And what I told them was like, man, I I am just uh, have all these horrible, guilty feelings at, at, at certain times. And some of them are rational. Like some of them I'm remembering stuff that I did and I feel awful about it, you know, from 10, 20, 30 years ago. And then some of them I'm remember like I'm would imagine in something that could have happened 20 years ago that I, a situation I was in, like, I don't remember everything that went down th- th- during that event. And maybe there's, I can't really remember. I can't really prove that I didn't do this one thing. So maybe I did this terrible thing, right. which, which and, and this sounds crazy I'm sure to you. And, and I, and I had this going on since I was a kid and uh, you know, I would like as a little kid, I remember confessing to like breaking stuff that I didn't break, you know, you know, it it sounds insane, but it just, it would, it would sneak up on me at different times in my life. And for whatever reason, during time when I was in New York, it was really hitting me hard and I'd never really said it out loud to anybody. And the guy was like, yeah, man, let me have you talk to our uh, social worker that's on staff here. And I'm like, I'm not talking to a social worker. Like what that? That sounds like that's not, no, I'm not talking. There's like, trust me, he's like, had to talk me into it. She's like, really? She's, she's good. You know, she's, so I, 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 it was terrifying. I talked to her. The most thing I was terrified was like, I'm going to tell these people that like, I imagine that I did this stuff and they're going to be like, well, you did it. We know you did it, you know? know? So I, 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 you know, I I was in Brooklyn and I remember just sort of spilling my guts out to this lady and she was like, yeah, that's uh, that sounds a whole lot like OCD. She's like, that sounds, and I'm like, well, nobody ever said OCD. I don't think it's OCD. You know, she's like, that sounds a whole, she goes, you know, you live in New York city. She goes, let me, let me do this. Let me call around and let me, you know, basically therapy was founded on the upper West side of New York city. She's like, there's a guy somewhere in the city. That's the best for what you're talking about. At least let me hook you up. So I went and I saw this guy and I, I mean, the day I walked in there, he's like, I start talking for 20 minutes. He's like, this is a thing called scrupulosity OCD. Um, and it's uh, mostly common with people, religious backgrounds. And I'm like, well, I'm not, he's like, but it happens with other people, you know? And, uh, d- just the fact that he said that it was a thing really, I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is a thing. This is a- I thought this was only me. I thought this was only my thing. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I got some help from him and I'm, you know, it's, it creeps back up now and I should probably be seeing a therapist more, but it it really helped just to see him for, 10 times. And I have other OCD stuff too, like the normal, you know, you know some of the, the other kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I remember just like in wrestling imagining like this guy, like i still remember my senior year I was wrestling in the conference finals against this guy that was not good, Joe. He was not, he was not good. And in my mind, I was like, I, I don't think I can beat this guy. I just had it imagined, you know, I just created this version of this guy and I went out and won like 15 to nothing. And, you know, in like two minutes, and I, and I did more and more on that in college. I was just, I was just in my head a little too much,
0: you know? Right. So when you say the OCD, I want to come back around to a lot of that. Yeah, that was but
1: a like, lot, a lot, but uh, yeah.
0: But when you um, say the OCD negatively affected your wrestling career, do you mean that just the the mental thing of like building up these opponents to greater yeah, than they it, were?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of irrational thought, you know, or just thought alone. I think you know, I think um when you get to a certain level, I you know, I was a division 1 college wrestler. We were good. You know, I was in the Big 8 conference back then, which is like the Big 12 now, and I you know, I was wrestling the best guys in the country. I was wrestling Olympians. I was good. You know, I wasn't uh, going to make the Olympic team or anything. Uh, but I was, I was good. And I think sometimes you think, well, it's got everything to do with how you mentally prepare for it. It doesn't, you're just, you're just good. And I think the less you think, and the more you just wrestle, um, and more realizes this is not the, the end of the world one way or the other, um, the the better. And I just didn't have the tools to, I, I don't think I had the tools to, to, uh, notice what a rational thought was back then right I just thought it was and and, you know I've heard even just in the the few times I've tried meditating or whatever they talk a lot about it's just a thought that doesn't mean that it has this because it this thing popped in your head doesn't mean that it has the weight of the world or that it's some sort of indication of truth or or, you know um which I, I I didn't as a college kid I definitely didn't you know i just didn't have the tools to understand that
2: we're i'm weirdly adventurous i've learned this about myself i'm i was the first one in the river i'm definitely i will i know that the feelings you and I are describing are just being outside of our comfort zone. So you aren't, it's not that you were healed. It's just that you were in a comfort zone and you push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And then you have to expand, you know, what is it? I love the, somebody today was talking about limitless expansion and I love that it's, it gives, I love the thing I love about in particular, this is where sobriety has been so good for me because Before I would do that, but I would be drunk or wasted or high and I would not really be aware. I wouldn't feel those feelings of anxiety and fear and have to breathe through them and expand, consciously expand. I would just be like wasted and it's a miracle that I'm alive when I think about some of the insane stuff that I did traveling alone as a woman back when I was drinking and traveling around the world. And now I get to be in these situations where, I mean, I'm with people who I have to trust, know the environment better than me. Can anything go terribly wrong at any minute anywhere you are? Yes. Like an engine started on fire and it felt debris fell out of the sky and that could happen to me right now sitting here. Right. And I, that was a big part of how I, kind of cured my own hypochondria. Weirdly, I started like counting the many ways that I could die in any moment, which seems counterintuitive, but it was like the illusion of control um, kind of has to be shattered for, for me to be able to really be present and, and, and to diminish some of that anxiety, because it really is just me wanting to control Everything, everything about my body, my health, my experience, and to my hypochondria acts up in instances when it I noticed, I started noticing when it would appear. And it was always in like the same s- moments or situations that. It, Then I went to my therapist and I was like, let's deal with some of these. One was shame around sexuality. I would get hypochondria around that um, was one area. Another area was when I was doing something really exciting and I felt like I didn't deserve it or I was going to die. Like right before I went to Australia, so, <laughs> I yeah. was like, I I had the most debilitating hypochondria and it was because I felt like and I don't know if this is being raised Catholic and like Catholic guilt or what got squirted into my brain that made me feel like I'm fundamentally worthless and I don't deserve good things. And I will die before I get good things yes. or be punished for it. But that was something that I just couldn't hold joy. You know, it was like I would feel joy and then be like, oh, but you don't deserve this. You're going to die, obviously. And it was robbing me of the ability to feel joy. That's what I fucking hate about hypochondria is that it, it is an addiction to worry. Fundamentally, that's really, for me, what it manifests as. And it feels like... Once you're in that loop, it's so hard to get out of it. And then I hate myself because it's so self obsessive and it it ultimately is robbing me of whatever joy there is to be had in that present moment. You know, there the brain doesn't know the difference between fear and unless it's like fight or flight fear. And this is how I have really helped myself with stage fright it, it doesn't know the difference between, um, being excited and being like stage fright nerves or being nervous in a situation that might be new. And so I just have to tell myself, okay, yeah, there's a rational fear that I'll get mauled by a leopard. (laughs) That is true, but more likely than not, these guys know what they're doing. And I'm also just excited because this is, new and crazy and outside of the box and then we did this other thing where they dropped us off on top of a freaking they call it a cafe but it's a big rock this helicopter and left us there for an hour and like 40 minutes (laughs) in the middle of like it was again after all this stuff you hear like don't get out of your car Right. they are like, we'll just fly around and make sure there are no lions or leopards, and then they just dropped us off on this rock. They're like, we'll be back in an hour, and an hour hits, and I'm like, they're not coming back.
0: God, <laughs> this uh, it sounds horrifying, but what what you're saying about hypochondria, like you just nailed it exactly for me. I've always had the same thing. It's always come up when I do the Tonight Show, or I'm getting mm. married, or whatever it is. It was always something that would accompany something great or going to Paris or going on a world tour. And it's the same thing. It's that like, I'm going to die before I can get this. And I've come so far because I can now realize like, Oh, there's my anxiety. That's just my anxiety. And it's a combination of therapy of recognizing that there's my anxiety. It's doing that thing. And also the meditation of like, yeah. this is just an appearance in consciousness totally. and it's, it's just passing. It's just thoughts. My thoughts are not reality. And fear is just fear. So that, has really minimized it. Um, Like when I did deal with it in Ecuador, there was a moment where I'm I'm sitting at the table and everyone's having laughs and I'm like Googling Bell's palsy. And (laughs) it's like, it was just like five minutes. And I was like, this is out of control, obviously. And then I use this website, anxietycenter.com, which is a great website because it lists like every ever recorded symptom of Anxiety and like tingling in the face and hands is like one of the number one things, mm. and it's things I've dealt with before. But as you know, with hypochondria there or in, in anxiety, there is that thing of like, most likely this is anxiety. My nervous system has been put to the test by riding a half hour long, 600 feet cable car in Ecuador. <laughs> And <laughs> but also I'm like, but it, it, it's tingling. I mean, this could be my it, it could be some kind of neurological thing with my head, but it, it was short lived. It turns the volume down and shortens it through all the work I've done. But it, it does make me able to be like, oh, this probably has a lot to do with the fact there was a horse running at me the other day. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it was quicker. But like you mentioned I start having that self-loathing of like, I'm still doing it. I'm on this amazing trip with great friends and I'm Googling fucking cerebral palsy, which I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and cause I'm a piece of shit and I'll never be able to get over this because of these, these fears. And, and it does go quickly into self-loathing because I've dealt with that my whole life as I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with it to at least some degree, um, which I think anyone that was, uh, you know, has abused substance at some point was sitting there going, I fucking hate myself. Yeah. Um, but So it's getting better, but that makes a lot of sense with the hypochondria. But do you ever you start to slip back into it occasionally or want to Google illnesses or no, I
2: won't let myself. I basically made a rule with my primary care doctor years ago, who I've had forever. And I love her. She's brilliant and laughs at me, which I need. But it's essentially if I'm Google, if I feel like I need to Google symptoms, if it's got, if it's not just me being crazy, um, if it's something that's persistent enough that I am feeling like I need to Google symptoms, then I just make an appointment with my doctor. And that's worked really well for me because I was too poor and didn't have insurance for a while to like really give in fully to my, hypochondria and the way that I've seen other people in my life who have better insurance or are, are, are like paid for by the state, they'll just go get every freaking test available right. to them. And I'm like, I, I luckily was inhibited by the fact that I couldn't do that at all and didn't want to go into insane medical debt. I mean, I, I definitely had moments in, in hypochondria that were comically embarrassing. In my early hypochondria, but I also had crazy things happen to me that would only happen to a hypochondriac because God has a fucked up sense of humor. So I was, I think I was like 20, and I was going to get my first AIDS test and HIV test. And I went to a local place. And I, this was back in the day when you had to wait a week for the results. This wasn't like the rapid test. You get a, like a pregnancy test now. Right. And I went to this clinic and I got the stuff. And then I, they either like, okay, come, they called. they're like, come back for your results. And I go up and I was so nervous. I had, I had been with a guy who had cheated on me with hookers. So I was like and I was already a hypochondriac. And I was convinced I convinced myself because I was Catholic and all this guilt around sexuality and shame and all this stuff that I absolutely had HIV. And I went to the window and the woman looked at my name and then burst into fucking tears. Oh my God. Walked away. And I was like, "Oh my god, my knees buckled." I was just with my
0: friend. Holy shit. Cuz I
2: was like, I knew it. I fucking have AIDS. <laughs> I seriously want to like write this story and do it at like the moth, like the 5 minutes that I had AIDS. Because this was then they didn't even give you the results there in that room you had to like walk outside and go to another building next door god. <laughs> and I had like rubber legs like I remember it so vividly because it was so visceral and and the woman just started crying and walked away and the one, other woman was like you have to go next door to get your results and I was my legs were just shaking and my friend was like oh my god you know my friend was she thought I had AIDS too and then <laughs> we go into the Next place, and this nurse runs out, and she's like, "I'm so sorry, that woman just got bad news about a family member." I was like, wow. "This is fucked up. Like, I should sue you for emotional distress. You should not be crying when somebody's coming to get their HIV res- results. Like, burst into tears. It was. It, I was that's like,
0: this, this. It traumatized me." I, I I was I I thought, you were, I thought you were gonna say you got like a false positive. Cause I had a friend that happened with that. So she was just crying on her own thing. Like she just was
2: Yeah. It I mean, had that's nothing to do even with Even more me.
0: insane. Yeah. I mean that's that's fucking crazy. Yeah, well, it was nuts. I'm glad you didn't have AIDS. Uh I was just writing about HIV because I, I I can't remember if we talked about this, but I I was talking about it to somebody, but I had I just found These notes that my mother had Stored when I was seven I went to a psychologist To have like a, what do you call that An assessment or whatever Uh, An analyst, and they wrote down All these things, my mother wrote all these Things after talking to the psychiatrist, and he was like Yeah, Joe has So many phobias And one of the things my mother was writing was like Yeah, he asks about AIDS all the time Mm. And I was seven years old Like this is 1989, so it was like I think it was when Ryan White was a big thing and they were talking about like it could happen to anybody. And here's this 12 year old kid with AIDS. And so at the time I was seven, I was like horrified that I was going to have AIDS and I hadn't, I didn't start shooting heroin until I was nine. So, uh, (laughs) but it really was like a a genuine thing. And I felt like for me, nobody said to me, you're a hundred percent, not going to get AIDS. Yeah. why do you think you're gonna get this or whatever? And I, I feel like I was never shielded from those things as a as a young kid. Like my family would just talk about it and play the news in front of me and all this stuff. And that Ryan White, I, I hated that son of a bitch because he was like this twelve year old, you know, white kid from the suburbs, or whatever. Who they're like, yeah, anyone could just get it because I think he had a blood transfusion. Is how he got it. Do you remember that he, kid?
2: I do. I I feel like um I there's a mosquito in here. It probably um, has AIDS. <laughs> I used to think I could get it from mosquitoes, um, I, but I do wonder how much of that was just that, like you said, we kind of came of age because then I went to a doctor one time and I was like, oh, I'm nervous. And he's like, um he's like, why? I was like, because I'm I just am worried that I have AIDS. And he was like, he started laughing at me. He's like, no one dies of AIDS anymore. (laughs) He just like laughed at it. He was like, Bridget, even if you have it, like it's you're not going to die. And I was thinking about like how far we'd come, even in, in that statement, just that he was like, no one dies of AIDS anymore. It was like he looked at me like I was a ridiculous person because I still had the mentality that I was raised with and came of age, we kind of came of age as it was like the, the epidemic was really unfolding. They were starting to name it, know what it was there. There was untreatable. It was basically a death sentence. And I almost am like stuck in my brain in that place with it. And now it's like, it's so manageable and it's, it's a miracle of modern medicine. And, um, it's something that I lived in so much fear and, and there was so much stigma around it and shame and uh, all of it. And so, yeah, there is I think my hypochondria really started around around AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases. But in particular, HIV, just because of our age, as we were growing up in our teens, You know, preteens, this was like, it dominated the news cycle. So yeah, of course we're going to like, that's in our brain. That's in our, that's that, that got in our, in that like developmental stage of our life.
3: I don't know what it is. I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm trying to find the, the appreciation in every situation is, is something I'd like to reach, but maybe it isn't realistic. Maybe that's, uh, I I'd rather not have it always in hindsight. I'd like to appreciate moments when they're there as, is, as, is, is, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. That's that, that is,
0: that's the goal. I understand yeah. that. If that's what you mean is just to yeah. be present and, um, yeah, to be present and experiencing it. Cause you, that's the thing with mindfulness too, is, is, is experiencing, anger, depression, sadness as what it is, as an appearance in consciousness Yeah, and to be present with it, where often we try to uh, escape from that, to get rid of that, which just right. makes it worse and is futile instead of just sitting there and being like, okay, I'm, I'm anxious right now. Why am I anxious? And then what I like to do is, and we've talked about before, is like get in touch with the physical sensations of anxiety. Hmm. I haven't heard about this. So that, well, that instead of you're having anxiety. So you start going, Oh, I'm freaking out. I'm dying. Or this is happening. You can sit and go, okay, what's really happening. I, my hands are tingly. My heart's beating a little faster. Uh, my vision is a little blurred. However, anxiety manifests for you. You're like, my thoughts are right are racing. Those are just, thoughts i'm having multiple thoughts that's what anxiety feels like my leg is shaking and if you break (laughs) it down to just physical things experiences it takes some of the
3: teeth out of it i think oh that's beautiful yeah i um yeah like i said i've been trying to do that with uh i get angry lately and i don't know why i'm trying to figure that out and when you when there's no clear reason, it makes you angrier, or at least it makes me angrier. So that energy just builds. Yeah, I have that too. You, by the way, you're giving me nothing here. I, I'm doing all the talking, oh, all the okay. lifting. I thought I, I'm like, hey, I'm on fire, and then I, <laughs> I thought I was. No, I'm giving nothing.
0: No, no, you're great. I'm just like, <laughs> this is what, this is what's really happening. See, this is mindfulness. I'm sitting here going, I'm a blowhard asshole. I keep talking. I'm just yammering on. I always, every time I do a podcast, I visualize a pie chart of who's doing the talking. And I'm like, oh, oh. God. it's 97 to three. It's a big, dumb Joe pie.
3: <laughs> you're a little big
0: dick. Little I mean, sliver. <laughs>
3: I see it as this is I'm having a great time, but but worried that I'm not giving you anything. But uh now I'm extra worried. <laughs> well, I'm trying to play tennis. I'm just serving aces over here. I I well I have what what advice do do I have for you? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm looking for. Give me something stick something <laughs> in my ass over here. All right. I mean I'll, I'll, it'll
0: be a sliver again. Well, Seinfeld had a great thing that he talked about in the um comedian um what do you call it commentary with my dear friend colin quinn and seinfeld had a great thing where he said and i completely agree with him and maybe we've talked about this before also but he said the biggest disappointment to me in life is how few people are really enjoying it and man i completely agree He's like, everybody's worried about something, their hair, their clothes, illness, whatever. And I was always struck by that, even when I was young. And when I was really young and in, into, like, teenage years and into my early 20s, I was always the guy that was, like, never worried about anything. Then I got hit with anxiety and depression and stuff. Right. But it is striking yeah. how few people, I mean, really few people, seem to be enjoying life um and i've always had that thing where people are always like oh you're always up for something you're always planning things and doing that it's so exciting i'm like yeah i mean what are you what are we doing here what are you doing? what are you talking about of course let's go i I never understood it and i always found it uh surprising and a bummer i mean like i know like i mean there are millions of people who just aren't even trying to have fun it seems like
3: yeah and 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 I think that's something I've always been chasing. I I used to think it was from accomplishments. That's where I made, I think I made that transition where it was like, oh, if I get this, I'll be happy. And we've talked about this. Like, if I get this thing, I'll be happy. And you learn that after you get that thing, whatever it is, that that's not the case. And, uh, I remember reading or hearing something where it was like, depression is when you think you'll be happy when you get a thing. and then. Joy is when you're chasing getting better, like chasing getting better at writing jokes or getting better at a new skill or anything. That's where I get more joy and become happier. But chasing the accomplishment of uh, whatever, another late night or an album that makes me depressed. Cause it's out of my control, but what's in my control is getting better at a thing or getting better at being a boyfriend, getting better at uh, being a podcast guest, all, all those things bring me more joy. Pie chart. Um. <laughs> uh, is that me and I went up? Yeah, I think that was good.
0: That was a good, <laughs> you just added some blueberries.
3: The <laughs> um. <A> real pie. <laughs> it was crusty oh man but
0: yeah i mean that those are the things i I, i'm trying to work on too and trying to this is something i've struggled with before i don't know and still i don't know if it's along those lines too of i struggle with it all the time my therapist always has to remind me of like actually taking time to understand and think about what you do want yeah, but well, my therapist is always like, "Well, what do you want?" And I'm like, "I don't know," and he's like, "Well, think right. about it," and I'm like, "I, I don't want to," and it's been a roadblock in my career in life because I'm like, I don't, I have trouble thinking about the future because of anxiety. Right. I've always had a hard time working on a sitcom or dreaming about having a sitcom or a movie or something because I'm like, "Well, we're all gonna die. Climate change is gonna get us. I'll get cancer. My, you know, yeah, or whatever." Um, right, which is like crippling anxiety, which has affected my career in so many ways. And yeah. that's part of the reason I'm always like, "Let's go to the fucking amusement park right now," because I'm like, "Well, we <laughs> could do this right now." Where a lot of that stuff is a commitment to learn how to play
3: guitar or to shoot a movie or whatever. Right. I I think it's almost like, but using what you what you just said is almost a uh, way. <laughs> Is a benefit too, where it's like, I used to think, well, don't worry about that uh, album that you'll get to do someday. But it's like, I have to remember, no, I might, I'm going to die. So why don't I make that someday today? Why don't I do a little bit today? Let's make a step today. And like, I had to learn step instead of, I used to be like, all of it will be done today. And that's where the depression set it in. But like, let's make those little steps and get those little, that joy of being creative so that if one, you know, then you're, you're, you're sitting on something eventually, but uh, combining my fear and your fear, I think is, it's right in the middle. I think. With our fears combined, we could rule (laughs) the galaxy. (laughs)
4: Mine has eased up a little bit over time as well. But I also used to do the thing where, like, I essentially would have to roll my eyes as a tick. Like, I just did it for you. Like I don't know if you can see that. But that was a, a tick for me. Can't. So people would think I was rolling my eyes at them because I just, like, had to do that motion where Weird. I, like, rolled them up.
0: I have a thing that I do in the car, and I this is all OCD shit, where... Somehow I would th- I would think about crashing or destroy the car, which I still have when I drive, of like what if I got hit by a car, or drove off and died in a car wreck, and I would have to do like knock on wood. Like people were like, ah, oh, don't knock on wood. And somehow I started by knocking on my head, like that old joke, knock on wood. People would knock mm-hmm. on their head like their head is wooded. And then I thought of the joke wood, like an erection meant wood. That's what you would say years ago. So I would knock on my crotch and then I would knock on just the (laughs) dashboard because that feels like what you would knock on so for like the whole for 15 years of driving anytime I had a bad thought or someone say something I would do all three I would have this tick where I hit my head and then my groin area and then the dashboard and no one ever really (laughs) noticed it but it's something I've done 5,000 times
4: yeah, I had a period, it's so I'm, we I really you do did. have a lot of. Si- <laughs> I, uh, yeah, having mine soon. Uh, can you tell? I uh, that wasn't funny. I'm sorry. You can edit no, that it was out. No, it's terrific. Um, anyway, I'm gonna edit out <laughs>
0: all of your lines in this.
4: <laughs> just edit out. Just I'm not even gonna send you my track.
0: It's just gonna be me <laughs> for 25 minutes.
4: <laughs> but I had a really similar thing. I I outgrew you outgrew the knock on wood thing completely. Right, you don't do that anymore.
0: I think so. I don't know. I haven't, I don't know. I mean, I drove here by myself. Maybe I did it. I might do it and it's not even, it's like so subconscious. But I think now, like you said, I'm like, I don't need to do that. It's like, you know, this, my OCD. Sarah calls it the
4: my Joe CD. Oh, okay. Because I used, when I was maybe 11 for about a year, I, I also decided I needed to knock on wood. Anytime I had a bad thought, like I would be like in my head, I'd be like, you never had cancer. And then I'd have to knock on wood. Like I would like bully myself and compulsively say these things. And it was so bad that as I went to sleep, I had this nightstand that had a wood trim on it. And I would sleep with my hand on the trim so that I could just keep knocking it as I fell asleep. Wow. Because I would like put myself to sleep with these like thoughts, like, your mom's gonna die, or like you you know all these things.
0: Well, you put um, me to sleep with your act, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but I, I had one where I when I would go to sleep, and this I still do do, do do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if I had to I would be closing my eyes to go to sleep and then I would open if I open one eye to look at something or to check the uh, the clock or whatever. I would have to open both eyes wide and then shut them together as one unit for some reason. Or else
4: they feel uneven, right?
0: Yeah, to like have one eye open and then just close the second eye, I had to open both and then close them together. It's weird, weird, a lot of weird shit like that.
4: Yeah, like with my blink thing, if I do it, it has to feel even. Like I blinked both eyes, or else one of them feels like colder than the other. Yeah, or I'm yeah. always like evening them out by like doing weird contortions with my face.
0: Yeah, it's um,
4: is it Tourette's? Sometimes I think it's like a mild Tourette's.
0: I don't think so. I think it's retardation, or um, okay. No, sorry, <laughs> too far. I think no. that it's um, I think it's OCD. I think that's all OCD, and then so right. is like. Whenever I'm driving, I have the visual of like crazy wreckage of driving off the highway or getting clipped, and then just like a crazy bloody crash and the ambulance coming, and I have to snap myself out of it.
4: Yeah. Do you have problems seeing uh, really gory things in films? Like, do they, do the images like stick with you like too long? Or maybe that's everybody, but I feel like I get like really disturbed by certain things and then like keep seeing them over and over again?
0: No, I don't think so. I don't have that. But what I... I, I never have that. Like, movies don't bother me at all. Um, but I do have... I I do get bothered by needles going into an arm when they show they it on the news all the time, and it makes me fucking sick. I, I hate mm. that. Um, but I do have, and this is another OCD thing, the visualization of violence sometimes of just people in the street. Like, I picture what it would look like for someone get, to get shot in the skull, to just have like that, like, and I think about it when I see people like in the park, which is weird. Um, yeah, that's
4: really weird. I think but, there's, no.
0: But that is part of uh, OCD to like visualize like horrific uh, violence.
4: Right. Yeah. I guess I, I don't visualize that specific thing, but I definitely visualize like bad things or like, or I'll worry that I'm going to do something bad, like in my sleep.
0: Oh, like, interesting.
4: Oh, what if I like hurt someone in my sleep?
0: Weird. It's so weird What's that like going to <laughs> It's so weird that like it's a the same disorder can cause all these different weird things. Like cause some people that have OCD, they drive home and then they're afraid they hit someone that they didn't realize and they're just dead on the side of the highway, and some people are so sick with it that they'll drive back to see if that person is in the side of the road.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't do that, but that just makes sense to me.
0: Right, right. That
4: compulsion makes so much sense. Yeah. I'll like I'll be like if I'm sharing a, a living space with someone, I'm like, what if I like murdered them in my sleep or something?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's fucking weird that those thoughts are in there. Or things of like laughing at a funeral or screaming like the worst thing possible in the supermarket. I have things like that. Like, what if I yell something horrible?
4: Yeah, Everybody. I also will just laugh when someone tells me horrible news. As like a, it, I get uncomfortable, and it's like a reflex. Like someone to be like, "Hey, you know, so and so, like they died," and then I just like, or if I am telling someone someone died, I always laugh.
0: Yes. Yeah, I say it. That's so funny. I mean, we gotta we gotta wrap up here soon, but um...
2: Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List, produced by Joe List, edited by Matt Kleinschmidt, executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt the Laugh Button Podcast.